Welcome back to Pick a Vinyl with Jason and Kate, brought to you by Warren Music Pro and On Deck Integrated Communications. Hi, Jason. Hi, Phyllis. Oh, oh, crap. This was a Phyllis episode. Oh, who, oh why? Who are you? Oh, no. I don't even know what's going on right Josh? now. Josh. Sorry, let me just straighten this out. Josh. Mm-hmm. We have a nine-year-old intern who's in charge of the production for the... You didn't tell me this was a Phyllis episode. Can I have a grilled cheese? No, you can't. I'm not going to reward your poor behavior with a grilled cheese, Josh. I like marshmallows. We have got to start hiring interns that are at least in sixth grade. Yeah, well, you know, like I said before, he has has a full beard, so it's kind of weird. Yeah, no, it it is weird that he has a full beard uh, as a nine-year-old, but them's the breaks, I guess. Dems the brakes. So how are yours, dudes? I am doing well. I'm very excited to be here. It's been a few weeks because of the holidays and a bunch of other nonsense COVID. that's going on. Uh, the yeah. COVID got the, Warren Music Pro. The vid took a bite out of you. Yeah. And it actually really did, <laughs> but I'm good. <laughs> but we're healed. New year, new you, non-COVID you. Oh, my God. Everything in the world is different. Nope. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> the calendar flipped and everything went back to normal. Oh, my gosh. There's unicorns running around outside <laughs> right now. But I am after I missed this podcast. I missed you i guess i'll say i missed coming here over the past few weeks so it's nice to be returning to word music pro and to do this especially with today's episode because we i think are gonna have a lot of fun with this (laughs) (laughs) i am like half really afraid and half really excited yeah it's 50 50 like i'm i'm so afraid that like you're gonna look at me halfway through and just go this is too much. Like, <laughs> we need to do. We need to wait on this. But. I can't believe this is the person I chose. No. Um. Well, we're half excited, half scared, half man bear pig because. Uh, who are we talking about today, Jason? We are talking about Def Leppard. And what album are we talking about? Well, I think that anybody who's actually a fan of this band still, um would be shocked to hear that we're going to do On Through the Night, which is their first album. And arguably their best? Well, uh, I mean, it's the most, yeah. I mean, I, I I, think so now. When, But it's funny. We were talking about this before we started. Like, I get confused as to how much of it is nostalgia is being, I mean, I was five when the album came out, but I probably heard it when I was like eight or nine. And, um, you know, when I, when I hear it, like you could put it on, it, it's one of those things that just, it brings me back to like 1982, 83. It's just like, you know, uh, there are a few things that can actually give me visual memory of my past, um, more than that album. It's crazy. And we've talked about this briefly on the podcast before, and we've definitely talked about it in person that, um, it kind of bums me out that most of my nostalgia memories are tied to like I never went to a school dance that had cool music ever because I feel like we just went through a 
real dry spell of at least what was on mainstream radio in Binghamton, New York, where I grew up. Uh, like it was a lot of boy bands and Britney and nothing that I, I have like nostalgia memories. I don't have any nostalgia memories around like Tool or Soundgarden or, <laughs> or anything. Um, I do. I know. <laughs> and I'm so jealous and like this, <laughs> some of those bands are just my favorite bands. Like, you know, I'm the biggest Soundgarden fan and I have everything Chris Cornell did too. Audio Slave, whatever. Um, yeah, I liked Audio Slave a lot too. Yeah. I did too, and I also didn't. I didn't want to like Audio Slave because I loved Rage Against the Machine and I loved Soundgarden, and I was like, I don't want those things to. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a polarizing time because I think that was you went way, one way or the other. With me, it was like I love both of these. I love the art that both of these artists had done, and I want. I was just one hundred percent excited to see what they did. Um, but yeah, I know a lot of people that were like, well, that means no more Soundgarden and that means no more, um, uh, you know, rage. Um, and you know, rage had already basically come out and said, you know, um, look, we, we think that what we do is a thing and we're just going to keep repeating the thing. Yeah. At least right now. So we're going to step away. And I think that that was really honorable that they were able to recognize that because, we both know, and I think we all know, that there are plenty of acts that, you know, did the same thing for 20 albums. Oh, a million percent. And I also, at the time of getting into both of those bands on Audio Slave, I didn't have, like, a concept of artistic evolution and that you could be in multiple projects at any point or do solo things and be in a project. Like, I had no concept. I was like, but you do this. Like there was no part of me yeah. that I thought like maybe you wanted to scratch a different itch as an artist at that time. So that's like when pe- when students find out that I play, I always laugh at that because to me it's so obvious, you know. And I never had that thought when I was a kid, but that's like a thing that I get a lot from students. I'll be blah 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 blah. blah. Oh, and I played this gig on Friday night. You played a gig, <laughs> and I'm like, well, oh well, yeah. What do you mean? Like that's what I do. I thought you taught music. And then I have to explain to them, we only teach it so that we can feed ourselves. <laughs> you know? um, I'm going to sharpen my iron. I got to go play some gigs too, at the very least, not to mention have a creative outlet for yeah. like your own project. <laughs> it's it's, it's a funny. And you would not believe how many times that's happened. It's happened probably a hundred times. Like you, you wrote a song. It's but like, you're a well, teacher. Yeah. I mean. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why would I end up teaching this if I wasn't <laughs> doing it first? Sure. Um, although there are plenty of teachers that do that. So, Yeah, I guess yeah. that's probably where our preconceived notions on yeah. stuff like that comes from. <laughs> but let's talk about Death Leopard. Yes. Um, I, I loved your story that you had about a student that you tried to pass this album on to who initially... Uh, well, I'll just let you tell the story because it's going to be better when you tell it anyway. I don't need to set you up for that. Why don't you <laughs> tell us about what happened when you were passing on this album because you felt like it was not the 80s, perhaps, cheese that people grasped onto that they defined them by. Yeah. I mean, especially now in 2021, um, I think the association is either if you're my age and... You're not exactly a huge music head and 
and you just the music is more of a nostalgia thing than it is, you know, an actual respect for art thing. Then, you know, you wear your poison shirts and you wear your Def Leppard shirts and you think of hysteria and pour some sugar on me and all that stuff. And I think that is in 2021 uh, what is the, uh, you know, how you regard Def Leppard. Um, but for me, uh, and, you know, the, the reason why I love telling this story is because how this came up is we were talking about, and you and I have talked about this, like guilty pleasures, you know. And this is a student. This was like, I thought it was the perfect time. Uh, to bring this up to this student, because this is like one of those rare students who is just a good kid, a hardworking kid, a very good guitar player. Um, he had been teaching already on his own, he, you know, playing in several bands. He's done a ton of stuff. He's worked in the studio. He's done a ton of stuff. And I'm thinking, all right, this this kid's ready for this conversation. And he came to me with, well, do you have any guilty pleasures? Do you have anything that, you know, you're embarrassed almost to tell either other musicians or or even just other people that you like. And, you know, I gave him a list of about 400 things, most of which I'm not ready to uh, admit on this podcast. <laughs> we need to earn your trust a little bit more first. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things I said was, what's weird is at between the age of probably 10 and 12, my favorite band is probably going to blow your mind. And he was like, he kind of like went back and, you know, because you know, and he made a weird face because he had, he's known me for a long time. And he's like, how is it not Pink Floyd or, you know, Metallica or Black Sabbath or like, you know, uh, the many artists from, you know, prior to 1982 or during, you know, that, that you've talked about. And I was like, no, it wasn't Pink Floyd. It wasn't Led Zeppelin. It wasn't um, Black Sabbath. It wasn't Metallica yet. Um, it was um, it was Def Leppard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to have that recorded. <laughs> and he was like, I, I, I was afraid he was going to leave. <laughs> it, it, the poor kid's face looked like, you know, um, I, you know. I don't know. It was like as if Johnny Lawrence was telling one of his students that actually, you know, he's been a Miyagi-Do student his whole life. Like, <laughs> it, it, was like, it was like the weirdest thing. It was almost like he looked at me like everything I've known about you is wrong. And it does. It feels like a betrayal. <laughs> <laughs> and then so we got into this thing and I said, well, when I listen back now, the first three albums is the ones I always talk about. On Through the Night, High and Dry, Pyromania. And um, when I look back, a, a lot of it, I understand, is nostalgia. And I, you know, and I do get that there is a, an enormous element of it that is now dated. And you and I have talked about that, where that's something you don't know as a listener and as a as a, a composer or as an artist. Is my, you know, is the stuff I'm doing right now or or on the listener side, is the stuff I'm listening to right now going to be relevant in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. <clears throat> What's crazy about that particular album is I would say, or any of those albums, is I would say it was probably about eight years um, before they were completely irrelevant. Um, 
And, you know, which is interesting because I saw recently the the induction to the Hall of Fame. They were recently inducted. I think it was 2020 that they were inducted. Uh, Def Leppard was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And there were a couple of things I realized. First of all, nobody can deny that that band is freaking tight as hell. Like they were (laughs) tight. And as far as their musicianship, you can't deny that that it's top notch. Um, You know, but, you know, most of the songs they were playing on, you know, were the the stuff they got famous for, which was all the hysteria stuff. And I'm like, you know, um, but I'm explaining to this kid, I'm going, you know, you have to understand um, at the time in 1980 when that album came out. And I think it was like I want to say it was like 80, 81 and 83 is something like that. Um, and, uh, that was a different time in music than the later eighties. Um, you know, to, in my, in my personal experience, you know, the late eighties was hard, was like, in my experience, the worst time period in music in my life. Um, everything was the same. Everything was lame. Everything was fake. Everything was inauthentic. I guess fake. Um, um, but the early 80s, you know, you had, um, first of all, you had Metallica coming out of the woodwork. You had Iron Maiden. You had, um, uh, but you also had, you know, some really unique things that I really still love. You had things like Talking Heads and The Police and, um, you know, The Cars, which I really liked and still like. Um, and the impression that I got out of, of Def Leppard, and this is what I said to this student, <laughs> Is I said, you have to understand, it's only like five years after Led Zeppelin is no longer a band. Um, and my personal experience was that Def Leppard, when they were doing On Through the Night, especially, which was more of like a hard rock album, um, that they were, it felt to me like they were taking the baton from Led Zeppelin. Like, okay, they're taking this hard rock thing that Led Zeppelin did all through the late 60s and early 70s and most of the 70s and just destroyed the world with it. Like, here's a band that is doing like, you know, what I saw is like a modern take on it. Like, still badass, still like, you know, cool riffs, um, you know, stuff like that. And... <laughs> You know, I showed a couple tracks to my student and he just looked at me. And like I said, you have to understand and you know him. He's just the nicest kid you'll ever meet. And so for him to do this, it's pretty crazy. He just looked at me and he just went, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> no, I don't see what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I don't hear it. And and I remember being like, well, OK, what, what do you mean? Because this just sounds like typical 80s crap to me. And I was like, oh, now, as I told you earlier, <clears throat> this is true. Uh, a couple of months later, you know, it was either a text or a call. I don't remember. You know, he 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 said, I got to admit, one of the tunes, you know, when we were discussing it, I added it to my library and it came up when it was shuffling and I was sitting there going, oh, this is pretty cool. And then I looked and went, oh, my God, it's from that on through the night record. And I don't remember which tune it is. I don't even know if he told me. But, you know, he he said and and I, you know, I get it. I still hear the datedness to a degree. 
But he and he did say he goes, it's still like dated 80s stuff. He's like, but I get what you're saying. It had a little bit more balls, a little bit more real than what was happening five years later. And I was like, as long as you say that, I'm okay. You can come back to the studio. (laughs) (laughs) Which is how you operate. It's pretty militant around here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm just going to keep saying yeah. So, yeah. So that's that story. (laughs) And, you know, just to give a little brief thing, you know, because I know you want me to tell this. So I'll tell it. Um, I by the time I became a huge fan of them, all three of those first albums were out. And, And I'm sure you've experienced this. And I'm sure, you know, like, for instance, I mean, I wasn't old enough to remember when any Zeppelin albums were released. So, you know, Zeppelin's a perfect example of a band where I had to get to know their entire catalog after I was alive. Um, and you know, with Def Leppard, I found this band. I don't remember who told me about it. Um, and I went and it was like exciting because there were, you know, um, I was like raking leaves and shoveling snow, depending on the season back then for like $10 a pop. And basically every penny, every single penny, that I got from doing either one of those things was, was for cassettes. Like, that's just what I did. There was a little record store about a mile from my house. I used to just walk up there with my brother and that money was spent immediately on cassettes. And, you know, I remember just being like, cool, now I have three tapes I have to buy. And I bought, you know, those three, um, probably consecutively. And I listened to them all. And, uh, uh, there were there were hit songs on both High and Dry and um, and a lot of hit songs on Pyromania. That's what a lot of people forget too. Like that photograph was enormous, right? Um, and um, you know that that wasn't the only single off that record. Like that record did very very well. Um, but on through the night, I don't even know if it has a single. Um, and it's, it's funny that when I look back, I think like, wow, that one really hit me the hardest. Um, and it's, but, um, or is it rock brigade? Is that the first tune or is that, see, sometimes, hold on. Yeah. The first tune is rock, rock brigade. That might've been, that might've been a single. I don't remember. I was five and I wasn't listening to them back then. I wasn't listening to them until I was, you know, I was all of maybe eight or 10. Um, (laughs) But, and this, this is the thing, the main reason why we wanted to talk about this and figure out how to do it the right way, because I know everybody has experienced this. And I figure if I tell this story, people can relate to it. So from the age of, let's say 10 to 12 or 13, I was like obsessed with that band. I listened to those three albums until they were like uh, basically melted. Um, you know, I had the T-shirts. I, you know, uh, it, it became a part of like my persona. You know, everybody knew I was a Def Leppard fan. Um, and the anticipation for Hysteria is probably up there in the top five moments of my life of anticipation for something to come out, whether that be a film or a record or whatever. And I will never, ever, ever, ever forget that day for the rest of my life, because it was, in my experience, the first day where I feel like the music industry, and this is what it felt like to me, 
Like the music industry had slapped me right in the face. Ugh, the worst feeling. Because it all felt like that. And like I said, I was 12 or 13. It was either 87 or 88. I think it was 87 when Hysteria came out. And I remember it came out and I went and got it. And between Pyromania, you're going to laugh, but between Pyromania and Hysteria, they had gradually moved from uh, like white or cream cassettes to the see-through. They were cool. They were so badass. And I remember being like, oh, man, I'm going to get a see-through. Hysteria is going to be so modern. And the artwork, I have to admit, was really cool. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be the most badass thing in the world. And I put it on, and it was within seconds that all these thoughts came rushing to me. This is not who Def Leppard is. This is not what they were trying to do. This is bullshit. That's a, I, it was screaming bullshit at me. And anybody, I, I also wonder if there's anybody out there around my age that had the same thing happen with Def Leppard in particular. But, you know, they're not, you know, in 1980 or 83, they're not singing about freaking pour some sugar on me. <laughs> they're not singing about that crap. Um, all of a sudden, 87... You know, they were full-fledged gram, glam, or as we used to say, and I'm sorry for my expression, but like, you know, what people like us who didn't like it called it, which was cock rock, you know? And it was like, it. they went from, like I said, this band that I thought was doing this thing, like moving, moving hard rock in the right direction. It was almost like I felt like they had given up, put the makeup on, and just said, screw it. Let's become cock rock like everything else. See, I learned so much from this podcast because I thought cock rock came later. And it's nice to know that it originated then because it stuck around for like Nickelback and Creed and not even them as much as like Theory of a Dead Man and Puddle of Mud. I felt maybe were even more that I didn't know that. I didn't even know that people use the word cock rock for that. I mean, cock rock is an 80s term. Yeah. That's, oh, that's awesome. I'm actually yeah. glad to know that. Yeah. I mean, so there you go. Learn all of it. Warren, Striper, uh, <laughs> you know, Poison, uh, Tesla. We could go on for days. I mean, you know, they were cock rock. You know, guys like me that were listening to Metallica, um, you know, Def Leppard was cock rock. Sure. You know? There, you, you know, and that's it's 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 amazing how like moments like that if you are passionate about art can really like change a lot of who you are in a positive and negative way um in a positive way i think it really start it really kind of helped me realize what my persona was in a negative way um it started to close me off to the possibility of other things becoming part of my persona those are the kind of dangerous things that can happen when when I throughout my life, when I felt like sort of let down by either an artist or the the business as a whole, um, you know, um, it has had a tendency to to make me jaded um, and sort of have low expectations of either certain genres or certain artists, um, it, you know, and um you know, and, and that I think that was the moment in my life, 12, 13 years old. That's when that started for me. That's when I started going, all right, what what is going on here? Because, um, you know, I know that this is not who they are. Yeah. And there's something really tragic to me 
when that's the thing that they get known for is the thing that you feel like is the furthest from the identity of the band you fell in love with. Like when people think Def Leppard, they think pour some sugar on me in general, like people who didn't um, like dig deeper into this band because they heard it at fucking karaoke night or at a bar somewhere. And they were, it's, it's, Oh, this is so eighties instead of this is a good song. And it wasn't, that's what to me keeps something from this album was a misfire to this is who we are now. Cause it was super successful. So then you lean into it further. If you're, I mean, if <laughs> you have, the artistic sense to deviate off that good for you. But it's like, if it's a smash, every producer and label is going to want you to lean into that more. But what it wasn't is timeless. So then it died out, but there it yeah. it's so heartbreaking. And I understand what you're saying of like, you, st- you do as a listener start to, it, it breaches your trust and it yeah. sucks because you don't want to trust other bands. And it sounds silly. Cause it's like, it's not, I never met anybody. <laughs> And these bands, they don't know that they hurt me, but it like it really does run deep because you it makes you feel like artists then have to prove it every single album now because uh they didn't they won you over and then they hurt you. It's a bad bad relationship. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's funny because it's it's funny you're talking about like the guys in the band. I mean, when you see them interviewed, to me it seems very obvious. Like they all seem just in their own way, like really nice, 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 positive people um and it was funny because what i forgot to say before when i was talking about them playing at uh the their induction to the hall of fame they were interviewing them and one of the guys you know mentioned nirvana and a couple other bands and i'm so glad that they're able to like laugh at this at this point and i'm not thinking about this side you know, they basically were saying like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, the 90s ruined us. Um, and they did. And the the 90s didn't ruin them. The, the 90s ruined everybody. That was big. I mean, it literally was like, you know, one minute it was Poison and Def Leppard and White Snake and White Lion even was a band that was like starting to get really big. And most people don't even know who they are now. And, you know, I just read an article recently about White Lion. You know, I was like, wow, I I remember when the children cry, you know. (laughs) And I remember like looking back and being like, wow, like I remember them. And, you know, the the whole story was about how they came out with that album and they were ready to come out with number two, which would have been probably huge. And then, you know, the uh, I don't like saying grunge happened because that's like the normal way. It wasn't just grunge. Uh, you know, like I think, you know, five of the bands that happened in that time period were grunge. You know, Red Hot Chili Peppers are not a grunge band. Nine Inch Nails is not a grunge band. I'll tell you Radio what. Radiohead is not a grunge band, you know. Even even the grunge bands. I was listening to Slaves and Bulldozers by Soundgarden the other day. Shocker. I know I was listening to Soundgarden. The end of that song is metal as fuck. <laughs> well, they they were a metal band. I mean, that if you listen to their early stuff before Bad Motorfinger, and even Bad Motorfinger is sort of like it's a transition record. Um, you know, there's still a lot of their metal influence, and they were like a hair better. Like, oh, uh, that's the wrong way to put it. They were more like the Metallica kind of metal. They were they because they had balls. Um and 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 rage and 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 st- the stuff that I like because when I listen to those things I like it but 
um, they were a lot closer to that. They, you know, um, and then there was a, there was sort of a transition that happened, but it is funny you say that because, uh, you know, they, you know, they, they called it grunge cause it all came down, came out or most of it anyway, came out of, uh, Seattle. But even if you just take those three bands, if you take, you know, you know, the three biggies or maybe four, let's go with the four. Cause that's even better. Let's go with, uh, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. And you go with the four of them and, they're four completely ridiculously different bands. So different. But you were saying that, quote unquote, what we call grunge now after the fact, essentially came in and, and killed it real fast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and again, it, was, it wasn't it was even just what we call grunge. It was, ev- it was everything. It was the fact that Nine Inch Nails was out. It was the fact that Primus was coming out. Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's a fact, and we've talked about this before, and I don't want to go too deep in, you know, But, you know, what I think the record companies were missing and, you know, maybe it's the optimist in me is that what they didn't understand is that when they were putting authentic um, art out for sale, you know, you know, I think the biggest problem with the music business is it doesn't have faith or it doesn't give. uh, It insults the public's intelligence. You know, it, you know, it, the, the business is so as a whole afraid to put something new, new and unique out in case it fails. But at least in my experience, the time when they were willing for whatever reason to do that the most, which was from like 1989 to 1993, um, at least in my lifetime, um, you know, you look, you fast forward to 2021, the majority of those bands are still enormous. Yes. And most of them are still bigger than anybody who's come out since then. And truly, even more so than, like, wildly popular, I feel like they also buy that music. <laughs> like, I'll go buy that on vinyl where I'm, like, we were talking about Ariana Grande. Some really cool tunes. She's super technically very talented vocalist. Yeah. I'm probably going to stream her stuff on Spotify. I'm not going to go buy it. A tool comes out with an album, I'm buying it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's interesting. You're unusual, be, and, you know, I'm getting there too, thankfully, because you're, I think it's unusual to listen to Ariana Grande and listen to Tool. Yes. You know, um, yes. I mean, I try to, I'm getting better at that over the last 15 years. I mean, you know, if Ariana Grande was around 25, 30 years ago, I wasn't giving her a second. And that's what I'm talking about when I talk about, um, you know, uh, feeling like you're betrayed can change you. (laughs) You know, I go into these expectations. I mean, I didn't become a fan of Madonna until I was probably, I mean, I liked her when she was, when I was seven, when she, you know, when she first exploded, but then it immediately became not cool for me to say that I dug her or, you know, and also I just had expectations. I got to be in my mid twenties and I went back to her stuff and went, you know, this stuff was really good and unique and you know, it is what it is. So the same thing with Ariana Grande, you know, I'm able now to listen to her stuff and go, some of the songs are great. Um, Her, her vote, her voice is great. But I think more importantly, people that are typically fans of Ariana Grande, Taylor Swift, you know, Selena Gomez, that, you know, that kind of thing are not typically like I'm saying if that's their deal, but they're not into tool or they're not into Deftones or things like that. They probably don't think they buy records. No, 
you know? Well, and also because I feel like artists like that are generally releasing an album of singles rather than you're never going to listen to a tool song out of context. Like that is just silly. Yeah. Um, but let's run down. Oh, I do want to talk about production. Cause we've talked about that with the eighties and this might've been, I think part of what killed it other than really cool music coming out is part of why things from this era feel so dated. Cause like I listened to a song like take on me and I'm like, this is a cool song <clears throat> with really bad production. There's something with that where you're like, I can always tell when something came out in that era of the 80s. Well. But also like Peter Gabriel. Have you ever, well, (laughs) I was just going to say, have you ever listened to Brothers in Arms? Yeah. I mean, to me, that's almost like the quintessential example of that time period. I want to say that album came out in 85, right in the middle of it. And if that album came out today, it would, in, at least for me, it would affect me the same way. It sounds great. The guitar tones are great. The drums sound great. And that, to me, a lot of the 80s was like, you know, it's tough because a lot of that came from thinking forward. And I mean, even in my opinion, I think Trent Reznor experienced it with Pretty Hate Machine because that's one of the only albums in my lifetime that I love, but would love to see it retract. I would love to hear, uh, mainly because I've seen them live and I've seen them do terrible lies live and seeing the way they perform that anytime after 1990, it's incredible, but technology was just where it was at. Um, and you know, in 1990, when he was doing that production, he probably was like, yeah, man, this shit is like, is awesome. And it was like by 1993, you were like, okay, that album kind of sounds like crap. Like, and I feel bad saying that because I love the album. Don't get me wrong. But, and I think, you know, the eighties in a lot of ways, there was so much, uh, you know, technology was really starting to get infused into music and, you know, uh, few people were able to do what like Dire Straits did, which was, well, Let's remember that we still have this thing that we do, which is still this rock band getting together and playing our parts. And let's still remember that it's put a mic up to the amp and get a great tone. And let's use the technology in a way to sort of enhance what's already there. But I think what a lot of people did is, uh, and people do it today, and I've done it, where it's you just start with technology first. And it's like, well, I have all this stuff I can do. And what we don't realize is those are maybe a lot of the things that when we listen back now, we go, oh, my God, there's that typical 80s sound, you know. Um, And we both even admitted that there is a little bit of that in some of the Peter Gabriel. And that's why that's why I brought up that Dire Straits record, because there's none of it. That album could have come out in 75 or 85 or 95 or tomorrow, 2015 or tomorrow. And, you know, I think it would have sounded great. So. Um, yeah. And it's tough because, you know, if a lot of those producers weren't doing those things, you know, maybe we wouldn't have the technology. Maybe we wouldn't be where we're at today. You know? Sure. So There's that's... almost something charming about it in a way. And it makes me wonder if in, I think the let's use auto, t- let's not, I'm sorry. Let's n- not let's use auto tune. Let's abuse auto tune and rap is gone. But I do wonder if in 50 years from now, 
if something technology wise will be like, oh, that was such a twenty twenties song. Like if if oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, turn back on it. But especially that was an era too where you didn't have unlimited takes of things. You were using studio tape. It wasn't oh let's just delete that. Like <laughs> you're operating in a completely different way too. So it's yeah. just fun to um, it 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 does. I almost do find it charming when you hear stuff like that because it is so specific, even if it's cheesy. I'm like, oh, but there's like, that's what it was then. You know what I mean? And the incredible thing is I have to take a step back and realize that from a production standpoint, I mean, that was as weird as it sounds. Part of what I didn't like about Hysteria, I mean, the production was about as top notch as you're going to get in 1987. Sure. I forget the name of the guy. Why do I forget the guy? I mean, you know, they had the greatest, the, 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 the greatest producer in the world make the record. Um, for 1987, nothing's going to sound better than the way it sounded. Um, you know, um, and a lot of those things led to it sounding dated, but, um, you know, that part of it, and you know, that was almost part of what I didn't like because we were talking, we were talking about onto the night. You listen to that. I mean, it sounds like 1980, you know, (laughs) um, it, it's, it's rough, like, but there, to me, there's more ambience that way. It's like, I can hear the room. I can. I can feel what they're feeling more than this very, very perfect, clean sort of thing that they were doing in on Hysteria, you know. And let's talk about On Through the Night track listing. We have Rock Brigade, which we think was the hit, if there was one. I could still get my heart rate up to like 170 running to that song. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hello, America. Ugh, underrated. Sorrow is a Woman. Oh my Every song. I just just love them. It could be you. It could be. (laughs) It could be you. Satellite. Oh, God. Satellite, I love. Yeah. Like, a lot. Um, When the Walls Came Tumbling Down. That. Actually, I'm pretty sure that might have been a hit, too. I was going to say, yeah. I think that was... That was one of the uh, the more mainstream ones, and that's more that's like to me a very because there's depth to the, there are depth there's depth to the lyrics, there's a depth to that performance, there's an authentic feeling in that in that to me. It's still, it still does it to me. That song, that song, that song can can get me emotional. I yeah, love that song. That one, definitely able to connect to, uh, wasted. Tip, that, that that there's your there's your eighties Motley Crue yeah. kind of like, <laughs> but good song, yeah. Rocks off. Another one, yeah. I guess it gets like that. It's the, the end of the record, maybe gets like that. But they're great. I you know I still love them. You know. It don't matter. That is another great song. I love that song. That's a cool tune. Yeah. Uh, answer to the master. Yeah, some very another very early, you know, sort of early early Def Leppard that definitely not the you know answer the master's not going to come on on hysteria no, and overture, overture which again you imagine them putting putting that on any other more commercial stuff no no way, it's you know it's funny as you're going through the track listing we had the vinyl sitting here in front of us and I'm looking at it and I'm not thinking and then you're going through them and I'm going oh my god yeah it's good you know? it's a really good album. I, I yeah I you know everything on that album is better than pour some sugar on me. Oh my god! By oh miles, god. pour some sugar on me is going to put me in jail one day. <laughs> pour some sugar <laughs> on me. Here's a fun fact: pour some sugar on me is my sorority's like song. Oh my! <laughs> and I did. By the not way, go to college in the eighties. 
So well, we're, you know, we're <laughs> recording this, right? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. I've said too much. I've said too much. We'll switch to the lightning round. We have the Santa Buku. This is why we have no music in the background. <laughs> we do our own. Hey, Jason. Yes. If there is one thing that you want listeners to take away from this episode and this album, what is it? Oh, wow. Okay. So let's see how quickly I can say this. So I would say not to allow the music industry to get you as jaded as I was. Because this single moment in my life, I think, is a lot of the reasons why until I was in my 20s, I like refused to listen to entire genres of music. Um, I think that like, you know, the biggest thing I would say is give everything a chance, give it a solid chance and do the best that we can to not go in. Uh, and it's it's very difficult to do this, but try as hard as you can to not go in with preconceived notions because if we go into preconceived notions a lot of times it can become a uh, a self-fulfilled prophecy so much so much to that and i would just add to that that music discovery is easier than ever so Uh, yes go discover what artists have done in totality (laughs) if you can yeah um which you can because it's 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 so much easier and, than it's ever been. Oh, my gosh. The snap of a finger. You can go listen to stuff. So go listen to this album. It's a good one. <clears throat> uh, what one album should listeners of this podcast absolutely listen to by this band? Let's take this one out of the equation. I would. I mean, Pyromania yeah. as well, for sure. And I love High and Dry. There are times where I like High and Dry. As a matter of fact, I think I do. I think I like High and Dry more than Pyromania. Okay, cool. So uh, then I need to go listen to that because I don't think I've given that probably the shake it deserves. Yeah, that uh, that that song is or that record is 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 great, too. I think I think, <laughs> you know, <laughs> is there any one song that listeners of this podcast should absolutely listen to? Um, I mean, you know how we both are about listening to the whole album. But um, I would say, oh, my gosh, I, how come I can't think of it? What It's on the second side. As the walls come tumbling down? Oh, no. It's the last song on side eight. When the walls come tumbling down. If you're just going to go check out a tune and not listen to the whole album, check that one out because it may actually get you to listen to the rest. (laughs) What's an underrated song or album from this band? The first three, would you say? Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly the first two because, like I said, Pyromania was pretty big. There was nowhere near. I mean, Hysteria was probably the biggest thing, you know, since anything for years before it. But um, but Pyromania did well, um, but High and, and, you know, I think it was one of those things where On Through the Night did what it did, High and Dry did better, and Pyromania did better, and then Hysteria blew them up. But, um, you know, I, I would say the first two, definitely, On Through the Night and High and Dry, I mean, I, I, I almost feel like they got worse. I, I feel the opposite of the way the public felt because <laughs> they kept selling more records and I kept liking them less as they went on. So the next question is, are there any songs or albums by this band that you can't stand? <laughs> Anything that came out, uh, you know, Hysteria and Beyond. 
because they never it, in my in my experience with them, they never came back to what I thought they had the ability to be. Did you actively listen to them after or was it one of those things where the moment broke your heart and you were like, I'm not listening to Adrenalize? <laughs> well, thankfully, Adrenalize wasn't that big because it came out, you know, during the 90s. 92. Yeah. yeah so it, forget it because yeah. like you said, and then Retroactive was 93. So and I don't even remember that. Yeah. Um. I, you know, and I, you know, it, like I said, it seems like they're they're good dudes. So I feel bad that they went through that. Um. I do. Um. But, you know, uh, they only got away with hysteria. Um. You know, the other two or three or whatever. I don't even know. Uh, I I remember Adrenalize, and I didn't even give it a thought, because freaking like Undertow was out. Like why? Why would you bother? <laughs> yeah. I feel bad that. <clears throat> This and it's happening with a lot of those 90s bands too, or late 90s, 2000s bands that like they just go on nostalgia tours so that bare naked ladies fans can hear you play one week when really they've come out with all these albums since that they probably would love you to listen to, but like they're stuck in this mode. Yeah. Well, Jason, thank you for suffering through this episode with me. This was fun. Yeah, it was good, and it wasn't as it wasn't as uh, as violent as I was worried it may become. Yeah, no, I not, thought... not you know not you and me getting violent, but us getting violent to just at the world. Yeah, <laughs> so... no, I thought this beautiful blonde fender that I have sitting next to me was going to be broken, but we survived. Her name is Heather. Heather, oh Heather, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. We look forward to the next episode, which will be I think episode eleven. Uh, episode nine. Oh, really? This is episode eight. (laughs) (laughs) I just make stuff up. Next episode is our hundredth episode. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I hate you and everything you said. Landmark milestone. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.